we have a very exciting episode of Why Did You Read That this week that I think a lot of people are looking forward to if they listen to our last poetry episode. The highly anticipated ice bringing forth of Ice Planet Barbarians. Very exciting. I was tempted to bring to not even bring four titles and just be like, I don't care what you want to talk about because I'm talking about Ice Planet <laughs> I mean, Barbarians. Let's be real. What other title am I picking? And yeah, well, that was the other thing is that I was like, well, maybe if I'm bringing four, maybe I should bring three throwaways because I'm like, I'm not going to talk about at least two of them. <laughs> anyway, um, this is the podcast. Why did you read that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm Megan. I'm Peter. And we get together once a month and we talk about stuff that we're reading. And uh, I bring four titles and Peter picks two that he wants to hear about. And Peter brings four titles, and I pick Ice Planet Barbarians and another one. <laughs> yep. And we talk about it. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to decide if we should save how we should place Ice Planet Barbarians to force... I should have brought something that I'm like, nobody's going to want to read this, but I want to talk about it. Mm. So I need to, you know, I'd be like, okay, X-Men, Operation Zero Tolerance Saga, you know? <laughs> Ooh, the Avengers Korvac quest that nobody's going to want to hear about. And then that way I could talk about it and force people to listen to it. Is this like the grocery store thing where they put the milk in the back? Exactly. So that you have to walk past, you know, all of the, you know, the candy and the chips. Exactly. Yeah. Which, if I owned a grocery store, I think I'd be looking to swap that idea. I'd be like, everybody's going for the Oreos. Like the milk. I don't know about the milk. Put the Oreos in the back. Yeah. Make everyone pass the the breakfast cereals. Yeah. Yep. I just saw a thing about a breakfast cereal that's meant to be eaten with orange juice instead of milk. Ew. Like they designed the flavor to be good with orange juice. That doesn't seem right. I, I'm curious what it tastes like, but not so curious that I bought it, but I'm curious. Uh, see, I was going to say this could be your, your assignment. Your mission, Peter, should you choose to accept it, is to try this cereal with orange juice. Well, if anyone from that company is listening and wants to sponsor an episode of the podcast by sending me the cereal, I'll provide the orange juice. (laughs) Maybe I'll try some different orange juices, some Mm. Sunny D, some orange Gatorade, see what works. Mm. The real stuff versus the, (laughs) your orange crush, maybe a little orange crush just to see. How I don't does know. carbonation affect the whole situation? Oh, yeah. I don't know what's in Sunny D, but I would be afraid that it would cause a chemical reaction of some kind. <laughs> well, this is, the, this is the science of it all. Come in with no eyebrows, and I'm like, so the cereal. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, so you're... Oh, you have to do a joke. I do, and I have a joke that I quite enjoy. Um, I ran this past uh, my office mate, and she laughed a lot, so fingers crossed. (laughs) Okay. So I went to my friend's house, and he was showing me his tool shed, you know, (laughs) showing me all the stuff in there and how he had it organized. And he points to a ladder. That's my stepladder. He said, I never knew my real ladder. Stepladder. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Yes. I had a look of bewilderment you for did. a second because I was like, wait, what? This is my stepladder. I never I, knew my real I, ladder. I got it. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> my stepladder. <laughs> I think I got, I got lost in the joke because I was picturing you going to someone's house and they're showing you a tool shed. 
and you I just too pic- much about these. I just pictured you in real life doing this, and you would be standing there going like, "What are we doing? Like, yeah, why are you true. showing me this?" Uh, it's not my scene. <laughs> Tool sheds. Tool sheds in general, yeah, not this, not really. This old house YouTube's yeah. channel. I mean, I think the closest I've gotten to a this old house existence is I hung up vertical blinds at my mother's house once. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I was pretty proud of myself. And I can put together Ikea furniture like nobody's business. Well, there you go. So. Do you use the included tools or do BYO tools to the Ikea game? I mean, it depends. I will say I have my own set of hex wrenches. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. They were a housewarming gift. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. You ready to hear some titles? I'm ready. All right. So I had kind of a slow reading month this month. Um, So I have three graphic novels. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Yeah. This is amazing. Okay. The first one I actually heard from you on this podcast. Okay. Um, It's called Ghosted Haunted Heist. Ghosted Haunted Heist. I don't even remember. But Haunted okay. Heist. You mentioned it somehow. Um, it was about, uh, it's a, a group of people who are going into a haunted house to steal a ghost. Okay. You don't remember this? No. Wow. Well, then I found it on my own through my <laughs> supreme book finding skills. Don't you wish you were as smart as me? <laughs> <laughs> my second book is Isla to Island by Alexis Castellanos. This is like an elementary level um, picture. Uh, it's like wordless graphic novel mostly, mm. but I think that it has appeal for a lot of ages. I, I really enjoyed it. Isla it, to Island? like the Isla name. to Island. Isla like the name. Okay, gotcha. And it's set in 1960s Cuba, and it's kind of focused on a real thing that was um, Operation Peter Pan. So as Castro was coming into power, a lot of people were afraid that their children were going to be taken and put in re-education homes and like that there was going to be, you know, violence in the revolution and all of this stuff. So a bunch of children were sent to the United States. So for safety, basically. Okay. So it's a story about the, uh, one of these girls who was sent to New York City by her parents. Is this a true story or is this like a... A fictionalized story of a real thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Then I have Lore Olympus by Rachel Smythe. This is based on a webcomic that I think is already done. This is just like the first print edition of like, I think the first 25 seasons. I'm not sure what she calls them. And it is a fantasy romance centering on the Hades and Persephone story. Which ah, okay. it's a thing for me. Come I realize that yeah. I'm, I'm predictable. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one is for a book that is not out until July. Um, I read it because I'm special like uh, that. Okay, I see. But I couldn't, I didn't have a whole lot to talk about. And so even though it's not out yet, I thought I'm going to include it in my options anyway. It's called What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. We talked about T. Kingfisher, actually, in our very first episode. Okay. Um, the Hollow Places. Okay, yes. Yeah. And uh, I'm a big fan. So <laughs> this one is coming out in July, and I wanted to read it. It's basically T. Kingfisher's retelling of The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think I want to hear about this ghost thing. This, oh, the haunted heist? The haunted heist. Okay. I feel like... I don't remember this at all. 
So I don't now know how I'm that's like, possible. I don't either. Well, it's possible. I read a lot of comics, and sometimes they kind of blur together. Yeah. I I do the same thing with books. One time I was reading Kurt Vonnegut's Sirens of Titan, and I'm not going to spoil the ending of the book, but it has an incredibly bizarre and, like, it's totally an unpredictable ending, mm-hmm. right? Like, you could never guess, like, where it's going. And I remember I was reading it, and then I was like, I have an idea of what's going to happen. And then that's what happened. And that it wasn't until I was reading, like, final pages that I was like, I've read this before. <laughs> and not that long ago. Yeah. And so I was reading it and finishing it, and it has this bizarre ending. And then I was like, well... I guess on the plus, you got to experience this twice, yeah. which is kind of nice, but it would be nice to remember some of what you read. Yeah. I have to admit, I've had that experience with the occasional romance novel, where yeah. I read the plot and I'm like, that sounds like something I would love. And I start reading it and I have this moment of, this feels very familiar. <laughs> I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So, Ghosted, Volume 1, Haunted Heist by Joshua Williamson. Okay. So, it opens up with the main character, Jackson T. Winters, and he is in jail. He's like a con man, a thief, and his last job went south, and the rest of his team died. So, he was the only survivor. That's a pretty pretty bad outcome for (laughs) the last job. Yeah, didn't go well. (laughs) I think we're safe to say it wasn't the preferred outcome. Yeah. And I, I think he any... has a little bit of survivor's guilt over the whole thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so he's in prison, and this enormous riot breaks out one night. And it turns out that this riot is basically cover for this heavily armed woman with a severe blonde bob haircut who shows up in his cell and breaks him out of prison and drugs him. And he wakes up in her very eccentric rich boss's house. Okay. <laughs> so eccentric, old rich guy trademark. <laughs> he's, yeah. uh, he's sitting behind his enormous desk. And uh, Jackson is uh, tied up to a chair or whatever. And the old rich guy has this huge collection of creepy paranormal items and, you know, like voodoo dolls and shrunken heads and all the weird stuff. Ouija gotcha. boards and stuff. And he has a deal for Jackson. He says, uh, there's this huge mansion that belonged to the Trask family, and it's rumored to be hugely haunted, like mega haunted, the most haunted place ever. And it's due to be demolished. And before it gets demolished, he wants Jackson to go in and steal him a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) And if he can do this, <laughs> exactly. I have a box. Stuff it in. Yeah. Uh, he says, if you can do this, then I'll use all my money and my influence to get you out of prison for permanent and whisk you away to a private island where you will live out the rest of your life in luxury. All right. So, you know, not much of a choice there. Go back to prison in the middle of this riot or try to kidnap a ghost and maybe live out the rest of your life in luxury. I was about to say uh, this eccentric millionaire should have made a lower ball offer because i was prepared to take it for just like i'll use all my power and resources to get you out of prison i'd be like all right done sounds good then he's like oh you don't want the island or whatever oh i shouldn't have agreed before you were done i didn't know that was a comma not a period always pause see if there's more (laughs) 
So uh, Jackson assembles his crew. They're going to go into this abandoned mansion and steal the ghost. Um, he's got the heavily armed blonde woman who's basically like security and also keeping an eye on him for mm-hmm. the old rich guy. Uh, you've got a psychic medium who was handpicked by the old rich guy. You've got these two internet ghost hunters. They have like their ghost hunting channel. You know, they, yep. have you seen those on YouTube? Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's exactly what you're imagining. <laughs> your, your Zach Baggins type. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to go in and set up all their cameras and record everything and like do their ghost hunting thing. And then he has a, a professional skeptic who like makes all of his money debunking claims of the paranormal. Your Agent Scully type. Exactly. Okay. And they're going to go in and they're going to, you know, do do the business. So then you get into the house. There's all these haunted house, like, hijinks, exactly what you want. Like, um, wispy ghosts, whatever. Like, their deal is that they're out of the house by dark. You know, no questions asked because nobody survives if you stay after dark. But the psychic medium keeps pushing, like, I would be so much easier to, like, reach the spirits if we were here after dark. <laughs> so um it's a lot of what you're expecting but there are some secrets also in um like why marcus wants this ghost and mm. why he picked jackson to get it and there's a twist in the ending as well gotcha so pretty fun cool. it's like nothing spectacularly amazing like but if you're looking for some good old haunted house scares I think it fits the bill. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you take that deal? I mean, I feel like I, if I were in jail, I would kind of have to. Yeah, let's put aside the jail part. Let's say you're just you, and they're like, okay, we need a librarian to go because it's a haunted library. I don't know. We need you Be- for some reason. Reasons. Yeah. I always like to imagine. I'm like, why would the government come to me and be like, you know, get me Peter? Like, what would be the <laughs> job that I... <laughs> but anyway... You're just you, and they're like, you know, you can live your life out in luxury on a private island if you uh, do this. Would you do it? And it's a haunted house, yeah. and I'm, like, stealing a ghost? Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm a weird combination of very practical, and I don't think I actually believe in ghosts, but I also get very scared by the idea of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're real, and they're terrifying. Yeah. Like, um... So when I, I, I watch like, I watch these like ghost YouTube videos, the ghost hunting stuff. Sure. And I don't find it particularly frightening because I, I, I always see like some other explanation for what's going on. Yeah. Not always, but usually. Yeah. And when it, there's no other explanation, it's usually a, that they're faking it. Right. For me. Right. <laughs> but then when I watch like creepy horror movies they're very frightening like hauntings are the ones that scare me the most so i don't i don't know how to explain it but i think i would be i'm easily impressionable about stuff like that so my practical mind would be like this is a lie but my my lizard brain would be like run away yeah (laughs) so i kind of think i probably wouldn't all right if i if i didn't have to if i weren't in jail i think i'd be like i'm good so, like, if you got the the classic Scooby-Doo deal of, like, stay in this haunted mansion for one night for a million dollars, you might not do it. I might not. Oof. I might, because I can sleep through anything. Like, I'm a really good sleeper. <laughs> There's ghosts everywhere, and but you're just And as long as I'm able to get to sleep before anything that is potentially scary happens, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
See, this is why they would come to you because they're like, we need someone who's really good at sleeping. Oh, I'm amazing stuff. at sleeping. I can sleep through anything. <laughs> As you know, I'm deaf on one side. So I just sleep on my good ear and like a train could come through the room and I wouldn't know. That's pretty awesome. It's great. There are benefits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my problem is I would pretty much do anything for anything. As far as, you know, if they're like, ooh, stay in this haunted house. I would probably do it for free just because I'd be like, well, one of two things is going to happen. Nothing will happen. Right. And then... And you get all the benefits. Yeah. Or B, something will happen, but then I will have confirmed for myself that ghosts are real. And, like, then it's a whole new world. Who knows? Yeah, but is it a good one? No. No. But is it ever? Does learning things ever help? As things stand, if I hear a bump in my house, I'm like, oh, house is settling. But when I have confirmation that ghosts exist, well, it's definitely a ghost out to out for my blood. Yeah. Yeah. That would make it worse in that way. I don't know. Just be a more interesting life, though, to me. Well, you know, there's uh, that old curse. May you live in interesting times. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just bored. So that's... <laughs> That's why I would go see ghosts. I guess so. Well, there you go. All right. Excellent. All right. So I'll tell you my four books. All right. I I mean three, really, right? Yeah, I could tell you the three and then... uh, One of them is The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Oh, okay. I knew you would probably end up reading that. One of my faves. Uh, Another one is a comic called Steeple by John Allison. Um, That is... Well, okay. So The 90s, sorry, is basically a bunch of... I guess short essays and creative nonfiction about the decade of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steeple is about a uh, it's a comedic graphic novel where a lady who's uh, part of the Catholic Church goes to this small town to work with a priest who turns out to be sort of a two-fisted monster-fighting priest. Ooh. <laughs> and then there's sort of a... Uh, like, evil church there as well. And so the two churches kind of clash. But it's mostly funny. Okay. As opposed to being, like... Scary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then there's The Cape by Joe Hill, which is also a comic about a guy who kind of discovers he has the power of flight. Okay. Um, it's dark and scarier. Okay. And then... My fourth book is, of course, Ulysses by James Joyce. Curses. <laughs> no, it's Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon, which All is right. about Ice Planet Barbarians. I mean, it's right there in the and title. the women who love them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in the interests of putting the milk at the back of the store, uh-huh. I'm going to pick one of your first three. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I think I would like to hear about the 90s because this is like, I'm kind of a child of the 90s. Like I might, I was in like late high school, early college in the 90s. So like all of the fun stuff was happening for, in that time for me. Yeah. So, and it's something I've thought about reading. I've read Chuck Klosterman before. So I would like to hear how this went for you. It's really good. Okay. It's really, it gives you a lot of different things to think about um, as far as looking at the 90s. So it's, I think the the sort of classic way that people write about a book about like a decade or a company or something is like a reexamination of the time. Mm-hmm. So they go back and they're like, ooh, we all thought 
Nirvana was the biggest band, but it was really Pearl Jam, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And that ended up not being his goal with the book. Okay. He was kind of, it was almost like he was talking about the 90s as being sort of a bizarre time because things that were normal in the 90s would not seem normal now. And then he was also kind of talking about how maybe the 90s will be the last decade. Like, this, that'll be the last time we think of as being a distinct decade that's different from other decades. And a lot of that has to do with technology and stuff. So, for example, Chuck Klosterman was a, a rock critic for, like, a long time. So he talks about music pretty often. And he gets asked a lot of times, like, it, when was the best time for music? You know, like, mm -hmm. what was the, when did music start to be horrible or, you know, some version of that? And he's always kind of like, well, really, the modern time is always the best time for music because the old music doesn't go away anymore. Like, it used to be there'd be a bunch of bands in the 70s or something that maybe would put out an album, but then didn't go anywhere. You'd never see it in the record store or whatever. And that continued up through the 90s. But then when the internet era came about and now on, like, Spotify or whatever, you can just find anything. You know, um, so he's kind of, like, immune to the argument that, like, music's no good anymore. Because he's like, well, all the old music still exists, and you can just listen to that. Probably one of the most interesting parts of the book was when he talks about uh, cell phones mm -hmm. and smartphones. Because, uh, basically, you know, most people now, I think, think or feel that we're sort of... Uh, subject to the whims of our phones and we're yeah. like always on our phones and it's kind of an inconvenience but his main idea was that they're actually incredibly convenient and that we used to be more devoted to our house phones because mm. he was like well you if someone was going to call you you just kind of had to wait around yeah. until they called yeah well, you were chained to your house yeah and then if you made plans with somebody you basically would make plans on Tuesday, let's say, for Friday. And then he's like, and then you would just go and hope that everything went according to plan for both of you. Yeah. And you would arrive at the place you were supposed to arrive at at the time you were supposed to arrive. Yeah. And, you know, nothing had changed between now and then and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast that was talking about how back in, back in these days, as a kid, you could not be found until you went home. Like, if you were out of your house doing something, playing around in the park or whatever, like, you were you were off the grid until you showed up back home. Right. Like, and yeah. I thought about it. I was like, it's true. We really were running wild. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some of that in there that seems to be one of the bigger changes between the 90s and now. I don't know. It, it's just an interesting book to read. He taught, He profiles, like... Uh, Bill Clinton, because he was like the president during a lot of the 90s yeah. and sort of how Bill Clinton's legacy has gotten much, much worse over more recent history and how he his kind of premise with that is he's like nobody from modern times and probably times moving forward will ever understand how Bill Clinton was that like publicly approved with his, you know, affair and Monica yeah. Lewinsky scandal and all that like. That's not going to make sense to anybody ever. And kind of along with that, he talks about how in the 90s, it was sort of, it was a lot more normal to be a person who 
basically is not engaged with politics and is like, you usually vote, but you know, you don't really talk about or think about politics that much and how now that's become weird. Like, it would be weird to meet someone who doesn't have a strong opinion on politics now. Maybe too strong an opinion. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's, it seems like he's proposing that there are some pluses and minuses to Mm -hmm. that um, as far as, like, it used to be easier to get along with someone that you maybe had a fundamental disagreement with. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, things can change in a positive way, too. Yeah. What I really like about the book, though, is... And what some people will not like about the book, it doesn't, I I don't think it's trying to change your mind about things or it kind of asks questions more than it proposes answers to those questions. So it it just brings up sort of interesting ideas about the 90s and interesting ideas about what the difference is between the 90s and now, but without sort of saying like, and therefore, you know... We're better now, we're worse now, we're this, we're that. And so I've seen a lot of mixture of some critics don't like that. Yeah. I think that's a less popular style of writing nonfiction now. Mm -hmm. And some critics like it. So I think that's been a huge mix er, in the reception of it. And that's probably the biggest caution I'd give to reading it. I feel like that's relatively standard for Chuck Klosterman, though. Yes. He's more of an ideas guy than an answers guy. Absolutely. I mean, one of his books, the title of it is literally a question. You know? <laughs> but what if we're wrong? <laughs> and the entire book is trying to sort of push the premise of, is it possible that we are wrong about things? <laughs> and yeah, his, uh, his last one before this was a, sh- a series of short stories that were kind of all based on hypothetical questions mm-hmm. and didn't really answer the question, you know. So I think some people find that frustrating or some people find it, like, self-indulgent maybe because he's just kind of musing about things. Yeah. But I find it super interesting. I think he is just an interesting thinker. Yeah. Like, taking taking a tour inside his mind, I don't know if I'd want to live inside his mind, <laughs> but it, it's a it's a great place to visit. And then the last thing I wanted to say about the book, too, is he was talking about how he really enjoyed writing it because he wrote it during, like, a lot of the lockdowns and over the last couple years of pandemic. And so he was like, for me, I would wake up in the morning and go work on it. And so for, like, two to four hours every day, I was sort of escaping into the 90s, mm-hmm. which was more enjoyable than 2020. <laughs> For, for so many reasons. For him and probably a lot of other people. <laughs> so it did, and it does feel like that when you're reading it too, though. It's like you get to think about some things from the 90s, and it's not like it's all just fluffy or whatever. Right. But I think it's easier to look at things from the 90s in a more like just a philosophical way as opposed to like, oh, this is hurting people right now or this is doing this right now. It's a little easier to examine. Right. So I just I had a lot of fun with it. It's a good audiobook if you do audiobooks too. Um he reads it, which I prefer. He doesn't like his own voice, but Do as, any of us like our own voices? No, nobody does. No. What it you hear on this in your head. Yeah. Well, what you hear on this podcast, I completely edit it, so it's that's not what I sound like in real life. I sound much better in real life. <laughs>
You don't have to laugh at that. No comment. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know if that was a great pitch for the 90s, but uh, I, I recommend it. And like, if you if you're thinking about it, just pick it up and you can like kind of read any of the different sections, yeah. the different chapters. That's the great thing about essays. Yeah. And they all kind of work alone. So you can kind of just read each one alone and see if, if it works for you or not. Um, but I'd go for it. Boom. Excellent. Look at us plowing through these. Yeah. Do you need a reminder? Um, okay, let me see if I can remember. I know which one I wanted to hear about. It was also a haunted one or a scary one. Oh, was it What Moves the Dead? It was What Moves the Dead. The T. Kingfisher novel? <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So this will be out in on July 12th, but I will say that it is already in the library catalog, so you can stake your claim now and get on the list early if it's something that you're interested in. So really, I'm doing this for everyone else. Not, not for, for you. Myself. Oh. I'm being selfless here by talking about a book I got to read early. <laughs> <laughs> I can't figure out if this is like a humble brag situation or like what's going on. I'm trying to assuage my guilt. Oh, I see. For for picking a book that people can't read right away. Because you got to read it first? Yeah, because I got to read it early. Yeah. Well, I feel a little bad. But that's why you get to read it early, right? So you can tell everyone about it and then they can get on the ball and read it. Yeah, but I mean, they can't get on the ball and read it until July. You know what? I blame everyone listening to this. Wow. If they If they'd gone to library school, wow. if they'd signed up for this reading list thing, if they'd done all this work that you'd done, guess what? You could read a book like two months early, too. <laughs> Maybe you like should I... have thought of that before you became a billionaire accountant or whatever. I, I'm not following down this path, listeners. Um, <laughs> I remain sorry for, for tantalizing you with a book you can't get yet. And I, I remain aggressively uh, adamant that you should have <laughs> done this instead of, uh, I don't know, whatever you're doing. I feel like I need to take a moment to address the potential sing-song in the, in the, the back of the audio here. There's... For anyone who's hearing it, um, we are in a room that is very near the children's room at the library. <laughs> and there is a um, puppet theater outside the oh. door. And so if anyone's hearing a very exciting, you know, drama happening, that is most likely the puppet theater in the children's room. I see. I so, see. Yeah. Well, this, that gives me a good idea if we ever do this as a, a live version. You know how some podcasts will do a live show? Mm -hmm. We could do a puppet theater show. And then we don't have to actually be on stage. Oh, see, I like that. I thought you might. Yeah. All right. We now, do have yeah, to be just cramped under a table for like an hour. <laughs> but, you know. Well, you know, you you saw um, The Sound of Music. They had just the giant one with like the marionettes that you could stand. I did see The Sound yeah. of Music. We just need to get fancy with it. We had to watch that every year in elementary I've school. I've seen it so many times. Our elementary school uh, music teacher, I went to a school that didn't have a lot of money, because, which I do later because... Uh, the way we learned about musical instruments was she showed us pictures of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a trombone. This is a trumpet. <laughs> and she had these. But anyway, we watched two movies every year that she insisted on. One was The Sound of Music, and the other was John Tesh Live at Red Rocks. Oh. She was the hugest fan of John Tesh. She thought he was so talented. Yikes. And I didn't care for it. But I was in fourth grade, so I don't think I was meant to. Sure. I don't think I'm a, 
a John Tesh audience. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. <laughs> so maybe he is really talented. I don't know. Yeah. When I was young, we saw The Sound of Music and Fiddler on the Roof a lot. So oh, yeah. While they're both quality musicals and classics in their own right, uh, I don't watch them very much because I have been burned out, but, but good. Yeah. Yeah. I anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Back off the tangent. Raining us in. Back to the dead. Back to the dead. What moves the dead? Um, so T. Kingfisher um, did write that book that I that is from episode one called uh, The Hollow Places, and it's super great. That one is uh, – most of her um, horror seems to be inspired by classic horror of some other kind. So that was um, that one was inspired by a short story called The Willows by Algernon Blackwood. And this one, What Moves the Dead, is inspired by The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, just full disclosure, I have never read The Fall of the House of Usher. All right. So, and I still thought that this was wonderful. So you don't need to have read it in order to get a whole lot out of this book. Oh, okay. Good to know. Yeah. So it's set in the kind of an imaginary world called Ruritania that basically is like England just after World War I. Okay. Um, with some, some differences. So um, because they were fighting World War I, there was this desperate need for soldiers, and there were women who wanted to fight, um, but women can't join the army, right? So they created this new um, faction of the military that allowed women to join and fight under certain circumstances and if they abandoned female dress and female pronouns. Okay. So um, they basically, I'm going to use they pronouns. I can't remember if there's one that, that was designated specifically for this group in the book, but we're going to use they. So Alex Easton is one of these soldiers who joined the military and fought and has just returned from the war and receives word that their friend Madeline Usher is dying. And so, you know, the, the opening of the book is rushing to this crumbling estate to see her and her brother Roderick. Um, before she dies, basically. <laughs> Roderick is such a great, like, Roderick. old-timey, yeah, oh, our manners, you know. <laughs> I don't know. That's just what it makes me think of. It does have a, a certain high-flutingness to yeah, it, something. Roderick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when they get to the grounds of the estate, um, everything seems a little bit weird. There's this creepy fungus um, everywhere, these weird mushrooms that, that don't seem um, like anything familiar. And there's a lake that sometimes glows in the dark next to the, um, next to the manor. And there are all of these rabbits on the land that act incredibly unnatural. They have this like jerking, twi like twitching walk kind Ew. of a thing. Okay. And they seem very alert about human activity, like more aware and like they're paying attention to what humans are doing in a way that wild rabbits wouldn't. Mm. Um, and they also seem like not necessarily afraid. Like, you know, like a, a rabbit might be watching you and when you move towards them, they run away because they were watching to see if you were coming after them. Right. That does not seem to be the case with these rabbits. <laughs> There's something weird about these rabbits, basically. I would not like that. Okay. Yeah, no, the rabbits are very creepy. They're, they're actually on the cover of the book, and it's a really great illustration and also incredibly unsettling. So, I'm picturing Vanicula, but that's just... Yeah, no, it's nothing like Vanicula. <laughs> I kind of thought it wasn't, but you know. Uh, so um, when Alex gets there, he sees Madeline, who is incredibly thin and like there's nothing left of her and she's very weak but she's still like 
they find her wandering the house at all hours. And when they find her, she seems completely out of it. Like, it's almost like aphasia. Like, she's saying things, but almost like she doesn't understand language anymore. She's using words in a weird way, and they think that she's sleepwalking. Um, but it's very, very unsettling. The whole situation is weird and, like, creepy. And this is the dying woman? This is, yeah, Madeline. Okay. Madeline Usher, who is, you know, who's dying, basically. Or that's what they... Or sort of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something is going on. So, yeah, there's... And I don't really want to get too far past that because that gets into... It's, first of all, it's a relatively slight book. Like, it's not... There's not a whole lot to it. It's, like, almost, like, a long novella. Uh, but it's lots of atmosphere. So if you like like a good gothic story, you know, something that's just swirling with atmosphere, that's what you're going to get in this one. It's creepy and insidious. Um, Alex can feel that there's something wrong going on in this place, but not um, how to help or what it is exactly. <laughs> and meanwhile, things just keep getting creepier, <laughs> which is pretty great. Uh, anyone who's read the book Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, I would say that this is going to be as a similarly satisfying read. Okay. Sounds pretty excellent. I really enjoyed it. T. Kingfisher, I think, is... I think people who know her are like, yeah, T. Kingfisher, 100%. But I I don't think enough people know who she is. Like, yeah. once you know her, you know. Yeah. But more people need to know. I see, like, I see the name swirl around, yeah. you know, but not like... Yeah, I think her day is her her uh, her sun is rising. Maybe. Yeah. I think more people are starting to talk about her. More people are getting to know her, and which makes me happy because anyone who likes a scary story, it can be hard to find a real good quality scary story. Yeah. And she's given them, so that makes me happy. I also kind of like. I feel that there is a newer trend of like scary stories not being as long. Yeah. And so that's kind of nice too, because you're like, all right, I can find out whether or not I like this. Without, yeah. you know, when you pick up Stephen King's It, which I liked, but I was like, this it's is a commitment. Investment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is going to, this is, my arms are getting tired from yeah. holding this book. I give a lot of credit to uh, the publisher Tor and Tor.com oh, yeah. because they are uh, releasing a whole lot of novellas and you can read most of them for free online if you wanted. Yeah. Um, they give their ebooks without, um, like, with free copyright access, like they don't, what is DRM it, Digital free. Millennium copyright stuff, yeah. the DMCA stuff, it's, they, they don't have any of that attached to their ebooks. Um, and so many novellas, and they're taking a chance on, you know, marginalized voices and weird stories and different perspectives and um, all in like fantasy, sci fi, and horror. And um, so, yeah, check out the Tor Nightfire blog if you're looking for some good, you know, novellas. Um, all right. And they write about stuff that's not even tour, so it's a great blog. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of rare for a publisher to be like, yeah. they will talk neutral. about another publisher because we like this book so much. Yeah. Big thumbs up to tour. I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> it always cracks me up. Like if you go, well, probably most people won't go to a library conference. But if you do, they'll have like a panel, you know, and it's like, what's new in, you know, young adult? Mm -hmm. And then they have a bunch of reps from different publishers. And I'm like... Would you look at that? Your 10 favorite books coming from YA category are all from you. That's weird. Yeah. What a cool, what a, what a lucky year you've had publishing that you're publishing the 10 best. <laughs> I will say, so I was lucky enough to go to what I think ended up being the very last 
Book Expo America. Oh, yeah. Uh, it got killed by the pandemic. Yeah. Rest in peace, Book Expo America was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to um, a breakfast where they were talking about, it was like a book buzz breakfast. And several of the, the publisher reps who were talking about hot books would talk about how like they had tried to get this book that the other publisher got. Uh. And it was like a lot of like, oh, I wanted that one and you stole it out from under me, but it was so great. Everyone should read it. And I really enjoyed that like collegial competition kind of aspect of it. It was nice. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hot tip for if, okay, if you're going to be on a panel like that, email someone else on the panel yeah. and be like, I'll talk about one of your books if you talk about one of mine. Yeah. Just it definitely gives people more confidence. They're like, oh. Yeah. You know, they're not just hyping up the book that their job relies on, you know? Yep. <laughs> Must be pretty good if they're yeah. willing to go go that way. Yeah. And if they did that to me and I worked for a publisher, I'd say yes. Yeah. And then I would double down and talk about the same book again from me. Not their book. <laughs> really? I'm going to talk about it too because it was so great. And that was the last time I was invited to a panel. Yeah. <laughs> I do love those though. They're Those they're kind fun. of... Um, conferences i will be going to StokerCon this year Ooh, cool! So i'll be hearing about a lot of horror this summer and i will come back and share some of it that's exciting yeah we'll have to we'll have to do like a StokerCon post-conference a StokerCon con special oh. episode of this podcast okay i was just making sure you were having a stroke i was trying to say StokerCon con i don't know a StokerCon spectacular yeah let's call it that Okay. Okay. Stoketacular. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be satisfied until I mash it into one word. Right. StokerCon contacular. Okay. Okay. All right. And do you do you need me to say what I want no, to talk about? No, I can about? just talk about Ice Planet Barbarians Excellent. by Ruby Dixon. Let's get into it. The moment we, we've all been waiting for. I think everyone's waited long enough. Yeah. So... Yes. I read I'm Ice ready. Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. Huzzah! Uh, if you have no idea what Ice Planet Barbarians is, it's kind of been tearing up uh, like book talk, you mm -hmm. know, and other online things because it's sort of, it came out like, I don't know, five years ago, something like that. It's been like a, a little while, yeah. It's like not new, but it's not old. Yeah. And uh, I think it came out, and, you know, it probably did fine. Mm -hmm. Oh, but yeah, it's had it, did, a... it did all right. Ruby Dixon is a known name for romance readers. And then in the last year, maybe two years, it had a resurgence. Yes, a uh, whole like new a audience rediscovery. discovered it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I guess people must have discovered it because it's – so it's a romance. It's called Ice Planet Barbarians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the cover is pretty clearly a human woman and a guy who, the best I can describe, looks like a guy from Avatar. Um, yeah, one of those, the Navi. He's like a, a tall, blue, I guess, barbarian-y guy. Yeah. And he has a tail. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, you know, I think this has fallen into the category of every so often a romance writer or sometimes like an erotica writer mm -hmm. kind of moves into the mainstream for some reason mm -hmm. somebody picks up on it and whatever there's a yeah. guy named chuck tingle oh, who's chuck. done a lot of 
really, really bizarre yeah. erotic fiction. Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think of a title of one that I can say on here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that there are many. I'll say, I'll, I'll do, uh, I read one called Space Raptor Bleep Invasion. <laughs> About a, a man who carries on a romance with a velociraptor in space. All right, I've got my laptop, so I'm going to find one that we can uh, we can use. <laughs> Here we go. Not pounded by anything. Six platonic tales of non-sexual encounters. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but that gives you an idea of his formula, I think. And then he's got these covers that are really, really bizarre. Yes. You know, they're kind of like bad photoshops, but kind of not bad. So they're anyway, so bad, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're bad, but they're perfect yeah. for what's happening. Yeah. They're everything you want. Yeah. So, you know, he pops up every so often because it's, like, uh, it's like when someone discovers the onion and then right. they're like, look at this headline. This is hilarious. Yeah. And then someone discovers Chuck Tingle and they're like, oh, look at this. Yeah. It's like if the weird part of romance were like a pit trap in the forest. Yeah. And every once in a while, some unsuspecting person falls into it and is like, what is going on? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what this felt like. You're just yeah. walking through the forest of normal books. Yep. And then you're falling. And then you're in this world of and you're things like, that how did I, get I here? don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So just for a little summary... Uh, Ice Planet Barbarians starts by introducing us to our hero, Georgie. She's a fairly average woman, maybe in her late 20s, early 30s, something like that. Part of what I liked about this book is I counted, and 215 words into the book, not 215 pages, not paragraphs, words into the book, we are in space. (laughs) (laughs) So... We didn't mess around, like, I kind of thought when I started this, it was like, okay, we're going to have to, like, meet her goofball roommate, you know, and it'll be like, oh, Georgie goes on a Tinder date that doesn't work out, you know what I mean? And, like, all this establishing We have to watch sad single Georgie drink wine while she watches The Bachelor on the couch. Nope. She's, like, going home from work, and it was, like, an average work day, and it's a, a Tuesday night or something, so she basically says something like on Tuesday nights, I go home, I microwave dinner, I watch TV and go to bed. The next thing we know, she wakes up on a spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, what happened is Georgie along with, uh, like 11 other women has been kid kidnapped, abducted. Yeah. Alien abducted. And they, through various reasons and means, they discover that they are being taken to this alien world to basically be breeding stock. Yes. For presumably for these aliens. I guess that's not totally sure. But yeah. Maybe they're being sold. We yeah. don't know. It's not actually really that important. We just know no. bad things a- ahead. Because the important thing is then what happens is also a little unclear. For some reason, the spaceship and the aliens have to dump their human cargo. My interpretation of what happened is they must have been getting pulled over by some kind of a space cop. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, you know, if you had a baggie of illicit material that you threw out the window as the cop is pulling you over. Right. So they're like, well, as long as we don't get caught, 
we'll be fine. We're just headed home, officer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, they're not going to notice you dumping like an entire cargo container off onto a planet. Like, whatever. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It That's does not why not we're matter. here. No. So all the women are left in this. It's I pictured like a cargo container, mm-hmm. or cargo ship, whatever. Um, they're just left on this planet. There's none of the aliens are with them. They're just kind of on their own. And so uh, some of them are injured, some of them are whatever. And so Georgie goes off in search of something. Right. Supplies, whatever. Quickly becomes apparent they're on an alien world because there's like two suns. And it's a planet she calls not Hoth because it's like an ice ice planet. The ice titular planet. ice planet is very much there. She encounters some creatures and then pretty quickly meets Vectal, who is the titular ice planet barbarian. Right. Who I think is pretty close to like an avatar guy. Um, very tall. Very tall. Yeah. Has a tail. Yeah. You know. Blue. Blue. Yeah. Probably that was a very important detail. Right. right. <laughs> he's, he's a uh, very blue guy. Yep. Uh, they meet. They almost immediately have a spicy encounter um, based on a sort of uh, misunderstanding of cultures. Yep, yep. (laughs) But, you know, somehow the alien and human anatomy is different but lines up in important ways. Convenient for the genre. Yes, yeah. It's, uh, It's not just like, oh, this is not... Remotely the same, you know. Slot A and tab B are completely incompatible. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just like, eh, you know, tab A is tab A sharp. So it's fine. <laughs> um, so then he sort of bonds to her for, I don't know. I don't know if I should explain because. We're part... still at the beginning. I think you're good. Okay. Uh, he has something that he calls a qui. And okay, so the narration goes back and forth between the two people. Right. Um, Georgie. They can't will, communicate at all. Right. They they don't speak the same language. Uh, Georgie even kind of alludes to like Vectal's language being like purring sounds and stuff that I don't think she can even make. So we'll have a chapter narrated by Georgie and then a chapter narrated by Vectal. So we know what both of them are thinking. Mm-hmm. Vectal has something he calls a qui. <laughs> And a qui is not explained super early in the book, um, but what it is is a alien parasite that you put in your body, which then helps you survive the harsh climate of the ice planet. Mm-hmm. But also, when you meet the person that you're destined to be with, it resonates. Yes. Which I just assumed meant vibrates or something. Yeah, I think I don't that's know. safe to assume. Emotionally and physically vibrates in right. some way. So you like so when he met Georgie, his qui resonated, so he knew that they were destined to be together. Right. Uh, thanks to an alien worm, an alien, <laughs> a glowing alien worm. Yes. That he put inside his neck at some point in his life, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Yep. Yep. It did make me wonder when I was reading, because I was like, you know, like online dating is a nightmare, mm-hmm. and I was like. As weird as it sounds on first reading and as gross as it sounds to like, okay, cut a hole in your neck and let a worm go in there. I 
don't know that if someone was like, but if you do it, when you meet the person you're supposed to be with, it will resonate and you'll both know. Yeah, you'll be certain. I think people would do it. Yeah. I think people would go for it. I mean, it's... Why not? The the fantasy of it is awfully tempting, isn't it? You won't waste time with someone. No. You won't, like, you know that you'll be compatible. Yeah. Yeah, and like... uh, (laughs) It's just... I didn't expect it to be as weird as it was. Oh, that's the weird part of romance. Yeah. For sure. It gets weirder. Yes. Um, like, there are parts of romance where the hero is a giant spider. Yes. So it gets weirder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, yeah, because, like, the Ice Planet Barbarian thing is weird. But you're like, I mean, he pretty much sounds like he looks like a Earth dude. Right. You Just know, but and tall and blue. Yeah. And also, I was like, well, I guess the Kui helps them stay warm and mm-hmm. stuff, too. Which I was like, well, that seems like it'd be appealing to a lot of people of like, get cold I'll never be cold again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, eh, okay. I could see some of the fantasy work in here. Okay. I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. How much did you think you were going to like it? Like, what were your expectations going in? I mean, like out of five, I thought it'd probably be like a one. Okay. Because I thought, I don't... The only other romance I read was uh, License to Love, Love, which was really fun to summarize, but wasn't fun to read. It was so long, and it was so slow, and there's just, like, all this excessive nonsense and, like, whatever. This book really clips along. Yeah. There's not a lot of uh, wasted space in the book. Um, It also kind of just keeps ratcheting up the weirdness of it. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that, like, they would get together and that would basically be the end of it. Mm -hmm. But that's not the end of the weirdness and that's not really... It's not really even the end of the story. Ice Planet Barbarians is the first in a series, apparently. Because there's, uh, you know, more things that happen. It ends in a satisfactory way, but it's not, like, the end of the the saga. So I guess I thought... It was going to be a lot more, like, padded and expanded and whatever. But it's pretty quick. Yeah. It's a quick read. Also, Georgie is fairly entertaining. I was thinking of, like, you know, she feels like the sort of fun main character from a Mm rom-com who you're like, okay, this person is, like, someone I don't mind spending time with in that book way. She was better written than I thought she was going to be. Yeah. And I don't know if I mean that in terms of like, oh, she was a super deep whatever and da-da-da-da. I just mean like, I I didn't dread going back to the book. Right. Like I thought I would. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, I'll get in some reading time and whatever. And then I thought I'd put it down and be like, ugh, like it's an obligation. Right. Wasn't that bad. Yeah. I guess, you know... As far as other people reading it, the one there is a weird element to it yeah. of like lack of consent yeah. going on, and I have seen a lot of people complain about that. Yeah, and I can sort of understand that. We had some very nerdy, like literary criticism emails between the two of us this week, which I very much enjoyed. I will have to admit to grossly overthinking Ice Planet Barbarians. <laughs> You know, talking about, like, ludonarrative dissonance or something. like. <laughs> and then I'm like, 
And then when he got the electric worm in him, and yeah. he did. But okay, if if any sort of lack of consent is like a you know problem thing for yeah. you in in a fictional narrative, don't read this book. Right, it's not it going to be there. it's not going to be fun for you. Yeah, but if that's something that you can sort of like get past, mm-hmm. it mostly happens like pretty early on in the book, yeah. and then it makes sense in the narrative way. Which is like that's that's the hardest thing to explain, is because when you're in this book, you're in this sort of swirling world yeah. where things that shouldn't make sense make sense, yeah. and like things do have an explanation, and I know what's going on, you yeah. know. And well, and I think it's important to say like you understand Vectel's motivation in that moment, yes. and it, there's no malice involved, right. and also to acknowledge that Georgie has a good time. Yes. Yes, she does. She has such a good time that she sort of temporarily forgets her mission to save the other kidnapped women who are, like, dying in the snow. Right. Because she's like, this is pretty amazing. (laughs) You know, she she was out trying to find food or find something, and she found this instead. And I did feel like there was maybe an element, too, of, like, in this book... Where she's like, okay, we're on an alien planet. Two days ago, I didn't think aliens were real. Right. I think at some point in the book, she kind of gives up on, like, ever returning to Earth or having a normal life. Yeah. Seemingly, at least emotionally. And so it almost felt to me a little bit like a version of, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. I'm going to go out this way. Right. (laughs) Like, I'm going to go out doing this and... (laughs) You know, that's what it's going to be. And I was kind of like, okay. Fair enough. I I don't feel I'm in a position to judge your choices right now. (laughs) You are the one trapped on the ice planet. It's true. Kidnapped against your will, put in this situation that, you know, is not your fault. Yeah. So. Don't judge till you've walked a mile in her barbarian fur boots. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about, I guess there's a romance trope called faded baits. Yep. Where it's something to do. Well, you could probably explain it better than I could. But I mean, it's in the it's in the name, Faded Mates. Yeah, and it's like people who are meant to be together, yeah. and then you Even were kind of saying say. often one person is like more aware of the faded right status. Well, that's a lot of times where the conflict is coming from. Yeah, is that one person knows, you know, and is certain that this is their faded mate. The other either doesn't know or is unwilling to accept it. Yeah. Yeah, and like Georgie, I think, is like, she's clearly willing to accept Vectal as her mate while they're on the ice planet. Right. And then at some point, I think she's like thinking maybe they'll be able to leave the ice planet. And so I think she's a little torn because she's like, well, I don't want to like stay on the ice planet if that's what I have to do to stay with him. I think that's some of her conflict yeah. is like, do I want to give up my life and live the barbarian life in a cave to stay with <laughs> Vectal? I'm not sure. Do I want my very own alien parasite? Yeah. <laughs> Is that something I'm willing to do? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but then, I don't know. She's just a fun person to listen to. And the way she goes about something, sometimes she explains something and I'm like, okay, that doesn't, I'm not buying it. You tell yourself whatever you got to tell yourself, Georgie. (laughs) 
But other times I'm like, eh, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. As much as anything in this book makes sense. Maybe that's part of it too. It's hard to argue with anything that happens in the book because you're like, well, we are in the ice planet barbarian world right now. So for me to say like that doesn't seem realistic is going to be difficult. Yeah. It's definitely asking a suspension of disbelief for me. Yeah. If you can't give that, it's probably not the book for you. Yes. I will say too, I, I read just a tiny bit about Ruby Dixon mm-hmm. and about her books and it made me like her and the book more. Yeah. Because she had one quote that was basically like, you know, I don't think every book has to be like a life changing experience. Sometimes it can just be fun. Yeah. And that's what she's doing. And I was like, I think you succeeded in that. And yeah. like, I agree with her too. I think we put too much emphasis on books being like fixing the ills of society yeah. or informing us about something we didn't know about. And I'm like, sometimes it can just be fun. Yeah. It can just be entertaining. It can just be interesting. You know, it can just be weird. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. I was telling you I read a Ruby Dixon myself. I read her new book yeah. um, called The Half-Orcs Maiden Bride. <laughs> yeah. And it was great. Yeah. It was, for lack of a better word, it was very sweet. Like, it was this very sweet love story. Yeah. You've got this, like, half-orc lord of a, of a castle, and he is determined to um, gain respectability by marrying a human. And there's this tall, gangly, like, she's too much of everything. She's too big. She's too tall. She's too, you know, freckled. She's too everything. And so her father, like, basically sells her to this half-orc. And then it turns out that they're actually very well suited to each other. And they <laughs> like each other quite a lot. And um, it's great. Little Beauty I, I and the so Beast vibe going. Hmm? Little Beauty and the Beast vibe. Yeah, going. that's a pretty, I mean, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that is a pretty common trope yeah. of romance, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, and I mean, this book has its, like, sweet side to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it's, uh, well, this is hard for me to say because I'm not really versed in the romance world, and I'm a man. And so... Men are welcome. They just don't tend to to wander into our neck of the woods. Well, it feels like the fantasy aspect of it, there's one fantasy aspect of it because Vectal treats Georgie like a queen, you Mm -hmm. know, like the most important person, the most important thing in his life, and, you know, is willing to do whatever. Right. Just his number one priority is her happiness. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a a fantasy element there that Mm -hmm. I understand and it's sweet in its way Mm -hmm. and then i think the the sort of faded baits idea is kind of a sweet idea because it's like oh it takes a lot of the like questioning out of dating and like i guess if faded mates was a real thing divorce would not exist right because you'd be like this is the person yeah that's it this is it (laughs) so you wouldn't ever have to question that or there'd never be a question in a relationship of like should we throw it in the towel? Should we work on this? Like, what should we do? And I think that's a that simplification yeah. of that part of the relationship it's is appealing. very appealing. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. Just in case my partner is listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> a 
Hello. Hi. And uh, I'm not doubting our relationship. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to put a worm in your neck. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, if that if that is uh, ever something that's on the table, um, I encourage you to, to seek help. Yeah, I before will. Before inserting worms into your neck. That won't be in my top five I, I mean, I would like you to say that it's not in your list of options at all. I know you'd frankly. like that, but, <laughs> you know, who knows what the future holds. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> don't be afraid to call me if it gets weird. I'll, I'll help you get out. You're talking to her right now? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I come home with worms and a scalpel, yeah. just run. You've got my number. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Ice Planet Barbarians was uh, really enjoyable. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I think I went into it expecting to just hate it and think it was... And, you know, I was kind of reading it just because I thought it would be weird. And well, you've was. read other, like... Things you didn't enjoy, but that are fun to review and talk about. Yes. So I'm, I imagine that's probably what you were. I was. Yeah. And honestly, I came out of it a little bit at a loss in those terms because I was like, this is like a completely competent book. Yeah. And like, it's enjoyable. Does and what it sets out to do. Yeah. And maybe the way I could best talk about it is to say it's like, you know, if you've ever seen a movie that you is clearly not for you, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe a kid's movie or something right. that you're like, eh, I'm not really the intended audience for this, but you watch it and you're like, it's pretty good. And I totally see the appeal. And I think that everything this book was trying to do, uh, it accomplished. Mm-hmm. I think it had its set out goals and it accomplished all of them Yeah, with a plum and with very little wasted time, which I completely appreciated. <laughs> It's the anti-Ulysses. Yeah. <laughs> so. We need more of those. <laughs> yeah. So I, I give an enthusiastic thumbs up to Ice Planet Barbarians. Yay! And, you know, maybe the best endorsement I can give of it is that, like, I read License to Love and didn't read another romance for, like, five years. Yeah. And I read this one and was like, okay, I'd be much more apt to try another one now yeah. than I was after reading that first one. Yeah. So it was not repellent to me at all. All right. Boom. You know, I'll take it. Because, I, you know, I people who are listening to this, they may not realize what kind of a reader you are, but I've known you for a while and I know what kind of a reader you are. And uh-huh. so when you say like that this book isn't for you or wasn't repellent, like I realize that this is not you saying like, you know, it's, <laughs> I expected it to be a steaming pile of garbage and it was only a pile of garbage. It didn't steam at all. <laughs> no, no, you know? no. Yeah. <laughs> that actually you're just like, this is very, very different from the type of reading you enjoy generally. Yes. yes. Which is part of why we do this show. Right. Is because that is very similar to the type of reading I do enjoy. Right. And you enjoy something different. And so us talking about what we enjoy covers a large span of types of books. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like if somebody who watches nothing but Fast and Furious mm-hmm. and then they were like, I saw Mean Girls. Right. I don't think that was really meant for me, but it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I would watch something like that again. Mm-hmm. I'd give that another shot. Yeah, and that's, yes. I'm not saying it's not good yeah. at all, and I wouldn't want someone to walk away. It is just very much outside my normal yeah. my normal uh, 
self-guided tour of the world of books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would like to, you know, applaud you for both being willing to try something so completely outside your familiar territory and for being open-minded enough to like take it at its face and like not trash talk it because it is ridiculous. Like no one's saying it's not ridiculous. Right. It's bananas. Yes. But that is why we love it. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's, that's what's good about it. It's like, it knows what it is and it's not trying to not be bizarre. Yeah. You know, it's leaned into the bizarre and it's leaned into that, uh, the voicey aspect of it and all this stuff, you know, and that's... Upping the ante. It's yeah. all about upping the ante. And that's what makes it work. And it's, But it is also, like, not just weird for the sake of being weird. Right. You know, it's not, like, gratuitously weird mm-hmm. where you're, yeah, like... Yeah, it's all the right beats of a romance. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. Yeah, because stuff that's just weird for the sake of being weird, the problem with it is if you don't find it particularly weird... There's nothing. Right. It's got nothing else. And this does right. have other stuff to it that makes it appealing. Right. So even if you just, even if you don't find it that weird, it's still pretty appealing, right. I think. But yeah, it, <laughs> it, is, it is pretty far outside my, my normal it reading is. purview. I mean, this is this is relatively deep into the weird part of romance. Yeah. Um, Like I was saying, there are weirder parts of romance, yep. but... I, I do think that this is an area of romance that most people don't get to accidentally. Yeah. Like, and if you do, you get very confused. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, what's good about it too, is like, and why I would recommend it to someone else. Cause I'm like, if you're semi curious yeah, and if you're just semi curious about romance in general, yeah. this is like a, an easy point of entry. Right. Cause it's like, It's got other things going on. Mm -hmm. It's got weirdness. It's got romance. You know, it's got a lot of things. And it is kind of interesting to talk about. Yeah. And like, you know, I put up a a part of a review on Goodreads and have gotten feedback on it, which I don't normally get for everything. Yeah. Because so many people have read it. Yeah. Like a lot of people have read it. But I do think it's a good point of entry into Mm -hmm. the romance world. Especially for people like me who are like, you know, I'm not going to be typical interested in everything. Right. So if you need a little extra reason to dive in, the bizarreness of the book (laughs) will carry you through. Well, and if this were a different podcast, we could go on for a lot more time about what I think this book is doing, you know, as far as, because, you know, while it is essentially like at its core, it is a fun, over-the-top, banana-pants romance novel. And that's really why it exists. Yeah. But I do think that because it is a romance novel, it's doing some work that romance novels do around, you know, human emotion and gender roles and relationships. And if this were a different podcast, we'd get into it. <laughs> but we're not, I'm not going gonna, I'm not, I'm not to take us down that road because I don't think that's why most people are here. <laughs> Well, fair enough. Well, I guess that, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you want to go down that road, we could do it. Yeah, let us know. I mean, you could do it. I'm going to just be... It'll be like one of those true crime podcasts. Our nerdy emails, you had things to add that I thought were insightful. That's... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, You know, I just... I think it's, it's weird because it's just such a difficult book to 
it's so easy to undervalue it. Yeah. But it's also maybe easy to go a little too far yeah. into looking into it, and that kind of kills the enjoyment of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, you got to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But, well, I guess here's my question for you, Peter. Yeah. Is this something we can expect more of in the future, like our annual Peter's Bonkers Romance pick? I feel like I could at least do an annual. Yeah. I think so. Especially, like, if I spend some time looking into it and find one that's not too long yeah. and is, like, weird enough. I mean, <laughs> at the very least, I know that we have a bunch of Ruby Dixon's audiobooks in Hoopla. That's true. So even if, because um, we have, the library has purchased Ice Planet Barbarians in print. Yeah. Which is not something I ever would have expected. Right. But when Book Talk got a hold of it, it blew up and we have it now. So you can read them on in print, which is great. Yeah. But we have her other series, um, some of her other series in audio on Hoopla. Okay. So you have some options. I am also happy to offer any guidance you might like. Yeah. Finding some banana pants. Um, I went to a romance convention once, and I went to a panel called Banana Pants Romance. It was great. I have a very long list. Okay. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where my passions would lie. Yeah. Because, uh, oh, I have read one other romance, sort of, Redeeming mm-hmm. Love oh, by yeah. Francine Rivers, which is like a faith-based romance yeah. that I had problems with and didn't yeah. enjoy. But a lot of people do. And yeah. That That's one was also very long. Oh, man, it's so long. Which I think is part of why what made it even more not for you. Yeah. Um, that was... Honestly. For a brief period, I was a member of a televised book club that yeah. was like part of a news show. And I think <laughs> I went four or five times and my legs appeared once. <laughs> and nothing else. Your claim to fame. Yeah. See, look for old PBS you know, Denver book club and keep an eye out for Peter's legs. Yeah. I'm wearing Converse shoes and black pants. <laughs> so if you see, if you see a nice set of games off to the side, that's gotta be him. That's me. <laughs> that's what the, you know, I, I figured out what they had me there for. Just Those wanted legs. to look at my calves. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Those... even my whole leg. It was just probably below the knee. Well, you know, there was a time in history where men wore tights to show off the shape of their legs, so maybe you missed your time. Maybe I did. Yeah. I don't know. Eh, this would take some investigation. I'd have to put on some tights and see what what I was looking at. <laughs> well, you know, if you decide to pursue that area of thought, then I'd be interested in your conclusions. Okay. Whether or not I would have yeah. been successful in the If you, you would have been days. the Bo Brummel of your age. Yeah. Yeah. The Bo Brummel. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well. Um, so let's go over our books, shall yes. we? Yes. Yes, we um, should. I'll go first since I started. So um, the first book I brought was Ghosted, Volume 1, Haunted Heist by Joshua Williamson. We talked about that one. I also brought Isla to Island by Alexis Castellanos. This one is largely wordless, so it's a great one for a bunch of ages, too, because you don't have a lot of actual reading to do, but you get a nice, meaningful, kind of complex story about Operation Peter Pan, which is when a bunch of Cuban children were sent to the U.S. to get them out of potential harm's way with the Cuban Revolution. And it's about her being in New York and feeling very out of place and not knowing the language and not knowing the culture and a very different climate and all of those things. So it's about, you know... 
feeling like you don't belong. It's beautifully done. Then we have Lore Olympus by Rachel Smythe, which is a Persephone Hades story with all of the other gods of the Greek pantheon. Uh, You get uh, Artemis and Demeter and Apollo and Hermes and all of that stuff. So if you like the Greek pantheon, um, that's here. It's also a romance. There is some... um, some consent stuff here that is not as charming as Ice Planet Barbarians. Um, so but I believe is, that the really? book opens with some content warnings. So I would take a look at those um, if that's something that is likely to bother you um, because there is some stuff in here. It deals with it seriously. Um, but if you find that difficult to read about, then you would want to know that it's there. So be aware that it's there. Um, then finally, we had What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher which will be out on July 12th, but you can get your name on the hold list now. And I encourage you to do it if you like a good creepy gothic story, especially like those big looming creepy houses. Um, That is what you'll get here. So um, yeah, that's my four. All right. I had Ice Planet Barbarians by (laughs) Ruby Dixon. I think we probably covered it. I think so. The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Uh, That's about the 90s. The 90s by Chuck Klosterman, or Chuck Klosterman does the 90s, as I like to think of it. Uh, Steeple by John Allison. That's a uh, uh, comic book series about uh, a woman who goes to work for this Catholic church and then finds out the priest is like a monster fighter man. And then there's also like a, you know, satanic church in the town who has a sort of similar young woman counterpart working at their church and actually these two end up swapping (laughs) churches oh and yeah it's and it's mostly comedic i'd say that sounds Uh, interesting it's pretty good yeah it's um he did there's a book called bad machinery that's probably his more famous one giant days Oh, I think I've read giant days yeah so if you think about giant days throwing some monsters and uh swapping stuff the religious thing's not like a big element okay and then the cape by joe hill which is about a guy who discovers a cape that lets him fly Mm -hmm. and then he uses that to do horrible things to people oh all right (laughs) yeah it kind of reminded me of the hypothetical question of would you rather be able to fly or turn invisible yeah. You know, because he can fly, but he can, he's not, like, super strong. He doesn't have other superpowers, just flight. Hmm. So, you know, he's trying to do some things at some points that are difficult for him because he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not, like, a superhero. Right. I can just fly. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he has a superpower that he uses exclusively for evil. All right. I mean, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son, so. Yes. You know. And he did a basket full of heads, which I think you talked about I on did. here before. Yep. So it's got a similar vibe to that. I, I think, think he has a new mini series coming out based on, is it The Firefighter? Oh, maybe. I forget the title of the book. He wrote this big epic dystopia. Yeah. And I think it's being adapted somehow. So, so. The Fireman, maybe? Fireman, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably it. Yeah, and he did Lock and Key, of course, he did. which is probably his biggest yeah. comic book. Um, the Cape is a good one, I think, if, especially if you're not the biggest comic book reader. I think some people, like me, who've read a ton of comics, will probably find it a little bit like, eh, you know, I've kind of seen something like this before. Mm-hmm. But 
if you're not like a if you're not maxing out like your hoopla and overdrive checkouts all the time, like reading comics, like just some goofball who you know, <laughs> would do that, uh, who's carefully scheduling his hoopla checkouts <laughs> and checking to get the editions with the largest number of I was pages. I and... have strategies for finding omnibus editions rather than individual issues. Yes. Yeah. And has strong opinions about when they offer the individual issues, when those larger editions are available. And I'm like, take that off. I don't want to get that. But... If you're that person, you may end up, uh, it's still good, but you might just be like, "Eh," it feels like something maybe I've seen before. All right. But if you're not like that person, so you're not me, you'll probably be like, it's it's good. It's worth your time. And it's interesting. And the art's really good. Cool. All right. All right. We did it. That's it. That's our titles. Do you have a joke to take us out? I mean, I could, but I closed out my joke document, so. (laughs) Oh, man. I can't spoil you with that many jokes. That's true. Yeah. What would I do? I you would just like not be able to go on without a, jokes on the daily. I'll wake up tomorrow and have a tummy ache from laughing too much. Yeah. I'll be like, I laughed twice as much as I was supposed to this I'll month. I'll get early morning texts from you saying I can't start work until you tell me a joke. And <laughs> I just I'm not here for that. <laughs> Got more important things to do. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.